In just a moment, we're going to see a video that tells a bit of the Sunrise story and the Tulare Community Church story, and a little bit of a story that you should know, which is our, our relationship with Imago Church. Van a ver un video a continuación sobre la Iglesia Comunidad de Amanecer y nuestra mamá, la Tulare Community Church, y un poco de la historia de Imago, que a lo mejor conocen. But before we show that video, I want to introduce to you uh, our, our preacher for today, Pastor Tim Bink. Quiero presentar a Pastor Tim Bink. I was thinking about it, Tim, and I realized you and I, we grew up within about 50, 60 miles of one another. Tim grew up in southern Minnesota. I grew up in northern Iowa. Uh, for almost 20 years, we had no idea that the other was there, right? No, for 20, almost 20 years. Uh, and then we went to this Christian college called Northwestern, and I'm guessing it was probably the fall of 1983 that you and I first got connected. Long, long time ago. Um, and uh, that's 36 years, as I recall. Nos hemos conocido 36 años. Éramos estudiantes en la misma universidad cristiana. Desde 1983 nos conocemos. And through the years, God has just continued to bring us together. Brought us together 12 years later, 1995, when both of us were uh, evaluated by our, our denomination, the Reformed Church, for church planting. They should have known what they were doing, by, especially by turning this guy loose. Um, but they said we could do this. They said, yeah, we think you know, God could maybe use you guys to plant some churches. In 1995, we were juntos para plantar iglesias dentro de la iglesia reformada, nuestra denominación. And then it was uh, just three years after that that we came back together again with the planting of Sunrise. And I brought my family to Tulare, and the Binks were here in Tulare. Pastor Tim pastored Tulare Community Church from 1996 to 2005. Is that correct? So nine years at Tulare Community Church. He has served since with our denomination, the Reformed Church in America, in the area of church multiplication as coordinator and as a team member, and he's currently also back helping part-time at Tulare Community Church in the area of church planting, helping to shepherd a church, Tulare Community Church, that is going on 40 different churches that have been planted in 20 years. Uh, and, and so that's quite a record. Tim ha estado ayudando la área de la multiplicación de iglesias y también está ayudando con la Tulare Community Church en en la plantación de iglesias. Ellos han plantado casi 40 iglesias en 20 años. So I, I'll, I'll let Tim say the rest, uh, but uh, first, take a look at this video, and then Tim, we want to welcome you to Sunrise. It's Pastor Steve Dykes, and we are here in Tulare, California, at the campus on Tulare Community Church. This is Pastor Russ Siders from Sunrise Community, and then from Imago Church, we have Pastor Carlos Coro. We're excited to be together because what you see here are three generations of churches. So Tulare Community Church back in 98-99 uh, uh, planted Sunrise Community Church who are now in process of planting um, uh, Imago Church. We were doing a uh, all-church Bible study called Experiencing God. And out of that came a group of people who were very much sensed a calling uh, to be a part of a church plant. We had uh, Pastor Russ Siders who had come on our staff 
uh, who we knew were, was going to be used in that area here in, our, here in our community. We landed here with uh, the vision of planting a church that would create a bridge to the community both in English and in Spanish. So Sunrise is different from Tulare Community Church in that it's intentionally uh, bilingual. Uh, we're very diverse and uh, in the early days here we depended upon Tulare Community Church for a lot of resources, not just the financial help that got us going, but uh, children's ministry, youth ministry, those were all cooperatives because we were on the same campus and, and so it just made sense for us to not overextend ourselves at, at that very early stage. Uh, they met on our campus for years. We were a financial support. We were an encouragement. We were uh, letting them use space. I mean, anything that we could do, I mean, just think in terms of, you know, your kids, the things that you do for them, um, not permanently because you know that you don't want them to live with you forever that they are going to move on and so that was similar to what we did now with the mago church we have the uh, privilege i think you could call it of paying it forward it was in late 2016 that my family and i came here to the central valley and began really just gathering people at our home and from that really just began to serve the community build relationships all, all the time, all the while being encouraged and being backed and supported by our parent church. As Imago Church has started, we've not only sent off people with Pastor Carlos and the core team, but uh, we're, we're sharing resources for child care, uh, for youth ministry, um, adult ministry, young adult ministry, and, and worship uh, ministry, trying to uh, encourage what's going on there. And and so uh, it's, a good, it's a good feeling that you know, we want to be involved to the level that is helpful. Uh, we're trying not to be a helicopter parent and to, you know, to kind of uh, micromanage, but really to be of whatever help we can be for them. Today, I'm, I'm grateful that we can function as an autonomous church, but knowing that we have the, the support and in some ways the covering of both our parent church and of our grandparent church as well. It's just cool to see uh, this multiplication and now Mago. So yeah, we're helping financially a little bit, some coaching, but primarily that's coming through our um, our sister church now with uh, some Sunrise Community. Really, this stretches back 20 years. When TCC planted Sunrise, there was always this intention that we would create a church planting movement of churches that plant churches that plant churches. And that same DNA has been passed on to Imago Church even in its infancy. It's something that we view as part of our culture and part of our DNA, this need to gather, build up, send out, and multiply together. And what I've valued above everything else has been the relationship. The relationship with both the grandparent church and the parent church financial, but supportive, but above all, missional. Just this idea that we're on a common mission together. Isn't that fun? Sure fun for me, man. See your dad there, Megan, who was a partner to this thing the whole way along all these years at Tulare Community Church. But uh, yeah, that video, just for example, is being used across North America right now because 
these generations of churches are speaking to the Pentecost offering coming up in June to all kinds of churches and a big emphasis on helping new churches get started all over the country. So again, your influence is probably a lot larger than you even know. Grateful to God for you. I'm so thankful to be here today. And uh, it's a privilege to be back in Tulare. Usually once a month I'm here for about a week and get to work with all of our church planters. We're currently planting five at Tulare Community Church and uh, other leaders in the pipeline. Uh, Pastor Russ and I will meet tomorrow morning with another potential leader that could be a future planter like for next year. We're always working ahead on that and uh, got a great partnership going over all these years. 20 years, you know, that's just, uh, Russ, you shared some memories of our own relationship and what God's done in that, and uh, yeah, I'm just astonished uh, to, to see what, how beautiful this ministry is, Mosaic is. It just lights my heart up, and uh, how faithful you've been to have this continuity of leadership. It's, uh, it's so exciting. I, I remember, I mean, let me just do a quick check. I mean, you're not all here today, I know, at one given point, but how many of you were part of that group that came out of Tulare Community Church and helped start Sunrise back in 98, 99? How many, look at that, we got a few hands here this morning. I know there's quite a few families yet that are part of things. Thank you, and God bless you. We honor you for that. How many of you were not part of that group? Raise your hand. See? That's the point, right? That's the point. Look at how God has multiplied and grown and how precious each of you are and how you're doing it again with Imago. I want you to know, you know, more than that, when we first brought Pastor Russ in, he remembers the grueling uh, Ridley interview we did in a car ride back up from Los Angeles, right? And uh, high, high quality, high, you know, past the assessment for skills for church planning. Did a, it's done a fabulous job and resilience was one of his strongest characteristics, just faith and resilience, staying, staying strong. And uh, so, I was, I was impressed by that, and he's still here, still leading, still multiplying, but you were our second church plant, right? We planted up in Chowchilla, which is now a flourishing church with its own campus and several hundred people uh, as well, and they're getting ready to reproduce as well, and Pastor Russ and Martine are working with uh, Logan Beardsley and uh, the church in Chowchilla, Cornerstone Church. You were our second church plant. Now we're working on our 42nd church plant in, in Tulare Community Church in those 20 years, and think about this, though. We set out to plant a church planting movement. You were the first church in our classes, really in Central Valley, from Sacramento, Los, you know, Los Angeles area, Bakersfield, on up to uh, the Bay Area. You were the first Hispanic ministry. I mean, we were, we were convicted that we were doing the great omission instead of the great commission. We had millions of Hispanics, and we were not touching that as a denomination in California. Russ came to help us launch that movement, and I know not all those churches are still with us. Some live five, seven, eight years, or others have transferred into other denominations and all that, but we've planted about, I think it's between 18 and 20 churches in the 20 years since you first broke that loose. We sent out, I think it was 52 adults and about 40 youth and children that we sent out from Tulare Community Church. So we were about 100 people, or 400 people in worship at that time as a senior pastor, we sent out our best and brightest, right? Small group leaders, worship leaders, evangelistic people. We sent them out and, and off to a great start. You, it was Palm Sunday of 2009, or sorry, 19, uh, wow, where am I? 1999 and uh, Palm Sunday. And they, you organized as a church, meaning you were self-supporting, self-governing, and ready to start reproducing 
by the end of that same year, by Christmas of that year, it shocked our group of churches in Central California, like, what is this? They were so proud of you and uh, still are, and you've become such influencers within this whole movement of church planting. Yeah, we can clap for that. So imagine being the senior pastor of the church that sent out a hundred of its best people out of 400, right? You know, out of our worshiping congregation, right? It was awesome. I remember being at that next consistory meeting, leadership team meeting, and saying, okay, where do the next hundred come from? Where are we going to go find the next hundred, the lost sheep? And there are ministries today in this city, you know, 20 years later, that are started by Tulare Community Church because of that question, because we sent you out, and then we began to reach differently into the community, and it, it's flourishing today. In fact, some of the church plants we're working on right now on the west side of the city come out of that work that we began because we had given generously and sacrificially, but God gives more back. I mean, we quickly grew back, and the church eventually was 500, 550 in worship. I mean, God knows how to do math. He knows how to bless parents. And prosper you because when you're blessing the next generation, he wants you strong and able. And God has kept Tulare Community Church and blessed us over these years. And I'm a, I'm a delighted two-and-a-half-year partner back on staff to help steward this movement again into the next generation. So currently together, we're working on 23 new church plants by 2023. And that means our whole family tree needs to become reproductive, right? All the churches we've planted over these years need to plant churches. Many are already in motion on that. And we're excited about that. But uh, it's, it's, we're trying to have 50 new churches planted by our 50th birthday at Tulare Community. We just started planting them when we were 25 years in, you know, so we're just, we're planting on an average uh, a couple of year directly and then even more than that through our network of church plants. So it's a wonderful time, you know, been part of the RCA's growth in this area, you know, these last 13 and a half years since I left Tulare, about 400 new churches that we've planted all over North America. The diversity is enormous and immense. God is doing something in this generation with the Reformed Church in America of churches that plant churches that plant churches. It's extraordinary how it's going. So my slides here, uh, maybe Martine or Greg, if you wanted to maybe come up. I don't know, I don't have what you have up here, so I don't know how to advance. But we're gonna jump into the scriptures here in uh, Genesis 126. I want you to start with me catch this theme from God's heart. God's operating system is multiplication, not addition, certainly not subtraction or division. His operating system for the earth, for the world that he created, we were singing about it, is multiplication. Thank you, Greg. So we could say it this way, if it's alive, it's meant to multiply. If it's alive, it's meant to multiply. In Genesis 1:26 from the beginning, do you, I mean, catch the, catch the, energy of your creator on this, right? On the first three days of creation, he separates things on the first three days, light from darkness, water above from water below, and then dry land from water. On the first three days, he separates. On the next three days, he comes back and fills things, but he fills them in a certain way. He starts in this part of the world, that Garden of Eden, he starts with a blueprint, with a, with a plan, and then he tells it to multiply, to spread out, be fruitful and multiply. He says it to the plants, he says it to the animals, after he's created all this separation in space, all of a sudden he's filling the air with multiplying birds and the sea with multiplying fish because they grow through generations, they grow by reproduction, right? One generation, the next generation, the next generation, be fruitful and multiply. There's a particular word for this in Hebrew and Greek, and it's a powerful word that carries through the Old and New Testament. So 
when God gets to human beings, he makes us in his image. I'll read from uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 and 28. Listen again. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and all the, over, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God's kind of set things in motion, an explosion of multiplication among the plant and animal kingdoms. And then he says, okay, let's make human beings and tell them to catch up to that. Go get that. Go rule over all that. All that multiplication, creation mandate, creation energy that I've put into motion, this multiplying operating system. Let's make human beings in our image, and they'll rule over all of that multiplication. So God created mankind in his own image. The, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Be fruitful and multiply, is the word. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So you get that sense of explosive design back in the beginning, in the original design. Number one, he makes human beings like you and I. This is important for us. He made us for intimate spiritual relationships. He made us in his image. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit makes us for close spiritual relationships with God and each other. You're made for that. You go back to the beginning, to the design of God's heart, but he also made you to multiply, that you would have that Adam and Eve would come together and then the next generations would come together and you'd have, you know, a doubling and a multiplying, quadrupling the generations. So if you think about this, the most of your population is in the third and fourth generations. If you have a hundred year plan for your family tree, you're going to see explosive growth in the later generations. You start from two, you might go to six or eight or 10 and with your kids and their married spouses, but then that next generation can be 30, 40, 50. 70, 80, 90 in the next generation. We have people at Tulare Community Church like the Fixie family that actually kind of model this in four generations. They have about 80 to 90% of the descendants are in the fourth generation from two. So there are eight kids that got married, 16 or 18 people total in those first two generations to 150 by the third and fourth generation. Most of the explosive growth is in your third or fourth generation. That's how God designed it to work. He wants people to be fruitful and multiply. His operating system is is multiplication. If you're alive, he wants you to multiply. Sunrise is alive. He wants you to multiply into the third and fourth generation, not only through Imago, but you've already multiplied through other churches by partnering with us and helping us. And there's a great thing moving, getting faster and bigger every day. Wow, I just lost it again, Greg. It slipped off the page. So um, I'm gonna go to a couple other scriptures. Sorry about that. And uh, let me just bring you to the New Testament for a moment and look at what Jesus says in Matthew 9, 38. Okay, this is a passage where Jesus is training a group of apostles, the 12, and he's about to send them out. In chapter 10, two by two, six pairs of the 12 disciples there. And uh, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through, this is what he's doing. Went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven, 
and healing every disease and sickness. So he's proclaiming the, go- the gospel that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The rule of God, the reign of God has come to restore all things, make things right. He's the king of that kingdom. He's present. He's demonstrating it with healing the sick, driving out demons. He's doing thousands of those in the sense that there's just an explosion of God's presence and power and love and provision into the earth. This is Jesus kind of stepping up the game. And he's, but listen to what he says about this, okay? So there's this explosion of people, and he says he saw the crowds, hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of people, he's, and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, What does that sound like? Jesus is talking about the animal kingdom. He uses a metaphor when he sees crowds of people, diverse people. He says they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're like the animal kingdom that has been obeying the creator's mandate to multiply. There's lots of them. But you know what sheep without a shepherd is in the dry, dusty, dangerous Middle East? You know what a sheep without a shepherd is? Dead in about two or three days. It's going to die of dehydration. It's going to get hit on by predators, right? So this is a desperate situation Jesus is describing. He's saying that the, the creation mandate is, is working. The people are multiplying. We have generations of people. I can see the crowds, but we don't have enough shepherds for those sheep. We need to multiply the number of shepherds much more rapidly. And then he uses another illustration in that passage. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What's that? That's the other half of the picture, right? Animal kingdom, plant kingdom. He told the plants to be fruitful and multiply. He's saying, yeah, it's like we need to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field because the harvest is multiplying. The need is multiplying. People are like plants now. They're multiplying like they're supposed to. But we don't have enough harvesters, disciple makers, shepherds and disciple makers are needed to multiply. Pray for that, he says. And the Lord asks you to pray for that. We pray, many of us every day at 938 or some part of the day where out of this passage, ask the Lord of the harvest for harvest workers to send out into his harvest field. So that, that opportunity to really multiply the number of harvesters, not just add a few, get to the second, third, fourth generation that the disciples who are multiplying are, you know, multiplying into others who are multiplying into others into others, third and fourth generation. It's when you get to that third and fourth generation, you get 80, 90% of the exponential growth, the explosive growth, rapid. So uh, just picture that when you hear the Lord say, we need to send out workers. We need to get a multiplication system. Churches that plant churches, leaders that reproduce leaders, disciples like you who make disciples of others intentionally, purposefully, and multiply that for generations. So Jesus is keen to his work of creation and sees the need now for a new creation for spiritual harvest to multiply all the way through. So this is God's operating system. If it's alive, it's meant to multiply. So we see even in the church planting work in the early Church, let's just go to Acts chapter 8 for a moment, and then we'll look at Acts 13. A couple leverage points again in the church's history. This is the Jerusalem church. We've already seen about 5,000 men plus women and children become disciples. There's a group of leaders that they've stepped back and said, choose those among you known to be full of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 6 to continue expanding the work of the ministry, and the church is rapidly multiplying in Jerusalem. So, 5,000 men plus women and children have become disciples. You probably have 10 to 15,000, maybe 20,000 people in a city of about 45, 50,000, Jerusalem. I mean, a third, half of the city has become disciples of Jesus in this time. But the mandate was 
go and make disciples, start in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth, and the church is kind of not reproducing. So you get kind of a reluctant parent here with the Jerusalem church. So what happens in Acts chapter 8? It starts in verse 1. It says, and Saul approved of their killing him. Saul approved of, of Stephen's, or, yeah, Stephen's killing and the martyrdom of, of one of the new leaders that had been raised up in the Jerusalem church. And uh, he was stoned to death in the end of chapter 7 there. So Saul approved. So Saul, who later is to become Paul, writes about two-thirds of the New Testament to all these new churches he planted. He's good at spreading the church. At this point, he's doing it through persecution. He actually helped the Great Commission happen even when he was hostile and a blasphemer and a persecutor of God's church. He actually helped it spread out. Where does it go? To Samaria. He helps the Samaria church get going. Philip goes down to Samaria. It says, the crowds heard Philip preaching the gospel, saw the signs he performed. They all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So one man full of the Holy Spirit goes into a place where Simon the sorcerer has been running the show with witchcraft and dark powers, demonic powers, and one guy overturns it in a day. Those days, thousands are coming to Christ. Peter and John show up and lay hands on the people and baptize them in the Holy Spirit. The church is being established in Samaria. It starts to multiply into a whole new region, a difficult cross-cultural region through the power of the Holy Spirit. A reluctant parent church out of Jerusalem, but through persecution, even through Saul, it became a spreading church, spreading out, multiplying. God knows how to get us to follow his commands and his mandate. Acts 13 is a better picture, if you will, of a church in Antioch. A church of Gentiles, as well as some Jewish leaders. There's five leaders in Acts 13 that are described. Barnabas and Saul now converted Saul and trained up in the Lord. Uh, you know, are in the church in Antioch. There were prophets and teachers, a five-fold equipping team there. Barnabas, Simon, Lucius, Manan, and Saul. And when they are worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit says, so they're listening to the Lord. There's prophets and teachers in the church set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Willingly gave up 40% of their best leaders to go. Saul and Barnabas, right? They do it generously, sacrificially. We're sending our best leaders, our best and bright leaders. So that's an invitation for us. I want you to think about that. Whether we're sometimes a reluctant parent, the need is still going to multiply. Whether we're at actively passionate, engaged parent church that plants other churches, that we can see God's blessing in tremendously. So I'm going to take you into a little storyline here of, uh, of the way that uh, I want you to apply this in this context. We've been talking about church planting, churches that plant churches, some examples of that from scripture, but really the, the creation mandate that there's going to continue to be a need. There's going to be more and more and more people even in North America, that are going to have a need for the gospel of Jesus Christ and a church to be the place where those disciples can gather and worship together. So we have a problem in that churches, local churches, don't live forever. Do you know that the average age in, in the United States of a church's lifespan is 100 years? Between 80 and 120 years, that church is probably going to pass away. So that's yeah, roughly similar to a human being's lifespan, if you will, about 100 years and then it may not be here. So think about even Sunrise, you're 20 years in, maybe on average, and we do have churches, even in the RCA, we have churches that are 391 years old, all right, since 1628. We've got some of the oldest churches. We're the oldest Protestant denomination in America, okay? The RCA is. So we're, 
We've got churches that are 250, 300 years old, but they're rare, and that's unusual within the whole population. Some churches don't make it 10. Some churches don't make it 20. Average, about 100 years. So the problem being that local churches don't live forever. They have a lifespan, like people do, a life cycle. Now, the bigger problem is that most of those churches with a limited lifespan of 100 years or so don't multiply while they're alive. So 2004, when I was still the pastor at Tulare Community Church, I was part of a study in the Reformed Church of America, our denomination, and we found that 97% of our churches were not reproductive, not reproducing other churches, 97%. We had 3%, 22 churches out of about 1,000 that were reproducing actively, like Tulare was, and uh, like Sunrise was helping us even in those days. So 22 out of nearly 1,000. So think about that, like in the population of America. What if only 3% of the women in America married to their husbands had children, right? Only 3% of families reproduced. What happens to America in one generation or two? It's gone, done, over, right? A little trickle of people, can't support nobody to do the job, nobody to work, it's just dead. The country's gone. Reproduction's at the essential basis of this thing, but we were a denomination in this country not reproducing. Now we've changed that number to 15, 20, 25% of our churches are reproducing. We still need a lot more to join that party and some need to reproduce more rapidly than they are and have bigger family trees that multiply to the third and fourth generation. So the problem again is that uh, we don't have enough churches that are reproducing in America and we don't have Churches have a life cycle, and not enough of them are reproducing to their third, fourth, fifth generations while they are alive in that first hundred years. So uh, this is the English version of that. The problem we all face, there's not enough healthy, life-giving churches a day, let alone for the generations to come. We must plant churches. Here's some examples of the challenge that's going to be coming in the next 30 years. So just to maintain the current percentage of Christians in the U.S., the American church needs to plant over 215,000 churches in the next 30 years. That maths out to about 7,100 a year. But there's another factor that's going to go into this that we should think about uh, just to maintain. That's 215,000 out of 350,000 churches now. We need to have like a 40%, you know, well, a huge increase. You get the point. Uh, to that part of the challenge that we have to stem the rising tide of those unaffiliated with the church along with the growing population a minimum of really 8600 churches need to be planted every year in America we're currently planting about 4000 and we need to be planting about 8600 a year we need to double the rate of multiplication among our churches that plant churches going back to this slide this is just the American population growth. You can see it kind of from 2020, which is the second column over. You know, we're at about 334 million people now by 30 years from now, by 2050, it's gonna be about 400 million. So it's about 65 million people increasing in that amount of time just in North America. So the need to keep up with the growth of those, those churches is uh, enormous. Oops the wrong button there we go so projected population for the u.s growing rapidly it's multiplying the need is multiplying and it's a very diverse from every tribe and tongue that live in america so um, we have about 4,000 churches being planted a year it's just in the last decade 
gotten to the point where we now plant more churches than the ones that we close every year. We, we average about 3,700 churches a year that we close in America. So, and unfortunately, because the lifespan of churches tends to be a what? About 100 years. A lot of churches in America were planted in the 1940s to 1970s, kind of the baby boom after World War II, an explosion of churches being planted, new areas, uh, new suburbs, all kinds of things happening there. So our challenge is that the number is going to increase in the next 30 years as well. While the population is exploding by another 65 million, we're going to increase the number of churches that run out of gas. Their life expectancy comes to an end. And so we're actually probably going to see about 5,500 churches a year closing. So imagine if we just stay where we are and only plant 4,000, we're soon going to be back in that place again where we're closing more churches than we're opening in North America. It's a serious problem that churches don't live forever. But more important, bigger problem is that we don't reproduce rapidly enough. We can plant new churches every year. The reproductive capacity of a local church is astonishing. You have one in your city that the RCA figured out. It's our most reproductive church in the RCA. Has planted 42 churches in 20 years. We can plant more than one church a year in a church of about 350, 400 people in worship. There's churches that are much bigger than that, they could be planting three or four a year if they wanted to. And the need is there. So we need to rapidly increase the number of churches that plant and reproduce. So here's our need. We need more new churches because church planting is the single most effective strategy we know for reaching the lost and the unaffiliated. And uh, so we need more new churches for sure. And we need better churches. We need stronger churches built on better gospel foundations, better DNA for reproduction. We need more and better churches consistently along the way here. So let me uh, celebrate with you that you're part of a denomination, the Reformed Church in America. I'm part of a team that's helping steward this vision from the new general secretary. His name's Eddie Alaman. You know where Eddie Alaman served first when he came out of seminary? He was an intern with us at Tulare Community Church in 2002, right? And then he helped us plant seven churches, Latino churches, in the Central Valley. And then he helped plant 14 down in Southern California with Los Angeles area, Emmanuel Reformed Church. And then he went to the denominational staff on leadership and Hispanic ministries. We were working on 50 new churches together in five years. And now he became the general secretary this year of the Reformed Church of America. He has a vision to help plant a thousand new churches in the next 20 years and that includes come on baby wake up sorry so the vision that is going forward is uh to plant a thousand new churches in the next 20 years and so uh, that's 200 international churches think Costa Rica. God is already doing something among you with 80 leaders and planters uh, in Costa Rica that is a direct connection. You're nurturing that along and training those leaders is a beautiful thing. So think of the, that we can be part of a 200 churches uh, internationally that will be planted in Mexico and around the Caribbean, around the world, really. Opportunity for that. We're planting about 22 churches right now in Nepal, right? Because we have a strong uh, Nepalese uh, church planter in Grand Rapids, Michigan that already multiplied in Grand Rapids and in Lan you know, Lansing, Michigan, and now is training church planters in his home country. So that's the kind of connection, spiritual relationship, you know, what we were created for. We're created by God in his image 
for close spiritual relationships with God and with people. That's what we track. That's what we follow. That's why you can plant anywhere right now. Sunrise could plant anywhere in North America or around the globe. You can plant churches because it comes out of spiritual close relationships because we're made in, in God's image. So how can we do it? You know, what's God's opportunity for us as we go forward? Let me just give you one example. This is from a PowerPoint. There's 16 different ways of planting churches, but one that you've already exercised recently in the planting of Imago Church is called uh, team migration, that you were able to send over a team of leaders, capable leaders in place, strong emotional financial support from a parent church, starting with a larger base, improves the success rate, and you sent them out. So a team migration. I think you could do that again. Keep raising up leaders and disciples that are multipliers in your church and send them out again. Keep thinking 2019, 2020, be intentional about that. God is going to do some great things with you as you go forward. So great opportunity for uh, that's one of the 16 ways. That's one you've already been a part of. You've also helped us in many other ways to plant Latino churches up and down, you know, the Central Valley. And so there's a document that your leaders have, Pastor Russ and Martin, uh, 16 ways of planting churches that uh, can be very helpful for understanding, okay, let's meet with our leaders, let's pray to God and say, Jesus, head of the church, you, we're praying for workers for the harvest because you see the need is multiplying. We want to be part of something that goes to the next level. And uh, that's the last slide anyway, so you can just put the English one up on that. And uh, 16 different ways of planting. Which one, Lord? Which way? These are all ways that have worked well for church and planting churches. Some are super strong, better than others, perhaps. But all of them become a way that, Lord, what do you want to do now? What do you want to do next? Because you're the Lord of the harvest. We want to pray for workers to be sent into this multiplying harvest. We want our church to be a multiplying church to the third and fourth generation. We're going to help Imago become strong so that they can reproduce again and their kids' church plants can reproduce again and again because 80% of the exponential growth is in your third or fourth generation from here. So it's true for you as disciples. You know, here's a, here's a thought I was sharing with one of our other church plants here in Tulare. We have like six churches for the RCA right here in Tulare from one 20 years ago. But uh, Unchained Church, one of our newest church plants, is working on a discipleship strategy, one-on-one -on -one discipleship with all their people. they got a great tool uh, from, uh, oh man, Small Circle, I think is the name of the organization, but Joshua Matiene can help. But he's just getting this rolling with his leaders. But I said to him last night in his home where I'm staying, I said, Joshua, how long does it take for a disciple, if they multiply just one disciple a year, pour their life into one more disciple of Jesus, how long does it take for them to have a million disciples that they've made? You know how long it takes? 20 years. 20 years. The two become four, become eight, become 16 every year. You know, you, you disciple 20 people for the next 20 years and make sure that they keep doing it to the third and fourth generation of disciples. You end up with about 1,048,576 disciples of Jesus. If even 1% of the churches of America were multiplying like that with our disciples, we'd change the face of North America. We'd catch up to the population explosion. God is saying, we need harvest workers. Pray for them. We need shepherds of the sheep. They need to multiply at the rate that the need is multiplying. Creation is setting the pace. New creation, spiritual redemption, uh, work is what Jesus is really trying to stir us up to. But he's Lord of both. He's Lord of the natural and the supernatural. He's Lord of the creation and the church.
So he surely knows how to lead us into that. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Jesus, for your mighty, mighty ways that stretch us, that stretch us beyond what uh, we can even ask or think. As the scriptures say, you're able, you're capable to do more, more than we can ask or think. Well, we want to be part of that movement, that movement of grace, that river of life that goes through the nations. We praise you as our creator. We praise you as our mighty savior, savior of the world. Thank you that you love the world. We know we get tired. We get weary. It's a bad, bad world in many days. And I just have to remember that you so loved the world, God, that you gave your only son so that there'd be this movement of salvation to make a bad world good or make a dead world alive actually through the resurrection life of Jesus coming into our churches. So Lord, may there be a great movement of multiplication through the disciples, leaders, and churches of this nation. We pray for it in the strong, strong name of Jesus. Amen.